Welcome back, everybody, to episode 11. I uh, can't believe it's been 11 episodes already. What is that, like uh, two and a half months of providing, uh, you know, splendid baseball content to you guys, you know, not only the podcast, but on Instagram, sometimes Twitter, Instagram Reels, um, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun, as I always say, um, but I, I am greatly enjoying this. Um, but you know, we'll just hop right in as we do always every week. We'll hop right into the news this week. We are starting with Austin Hayes hitting for the cycle. Austin Hayes hit for the cycle on Wednesday night in a seven to zero dub over the Nationals, which was the DMV, uh, you know, rivalry coming from Baltimore and um, the DC area. And the most the most impressive thing that you know the most impressive aspect of his cycle was that he did it in six innings because the game did have to end early due to rain in the seventh inning, I believe. So he did it in just four at-bats in six innings, and it is the fourth cycle of the season next to Eduardo Escobar, Jared Walsh, and Christian Yelich. Uh, Austin Hayes is hitting 287 with an 834 OPS and an OPS plus over 130 this year. Uh, he's got to be one of the better hitters, one of the best hitters on that Baltimore team. Uh, one of the you know most promising pieces with Ali Rushman, uh, we got Jorge Mateo who brings great speed. Um, so just you know an up and coming team, and getting great great signs from Austin Hayes uh, and Ali Rushman. But you know congratulations to Austin Hayes for hitting that cycle in such a short game. Um, it was very impressive. Next we're gonna go to Shohei Otani this week. He Drove in eight runs in one game, and then the next game struck out 13 batters. I believe both both of these marks were career highs for Otani. Um, so it's just an incredible thing that he's doing. You know, they call him the new Babe Ruth, you know, the two-way player. Uh, it's just in- extremely impressive to not only be, I would say, all-star caliber and pitching, but also all-star caliber and hitting. Um, you know, he's hitting 260 this year with an 830 OPS and an OPS plus also over 130. Um, and his pitching record is six and four with a two nine zero ERA, and he has ninety strikeouts in sixty eight innings. Um, his ERA plus is one thirty six, um, and his WHIP is sitting at just over one point zero. So, like I said, it's just super impressive. You don't it's a once in a generational type thing. Um, he should be the face of the MLB. The MLB should be pushing hard for Shohei Otani. Um, I believe he deserves all the hype, as we know. Has been doing you know great things for so many years, you know, leading top of the league in uh, home runs last year. Um, but just like I said, all star on both sides of the field, which is something you don't really see very often. So it's incredibly impressive. Next, we got Willie Calhoun being traded. Uh, he requested a trade from the Texas Rangers back in May after being optioned back down to Triple A. He then was traded this week to San Francisco Giants for Steven Duggar and cash considerations. Uh, Willie Calhoun has not really played that much this year, but he had a strong 2019 before the shortened season, betting 269 with an 848 OPS and a 110 OPS plus. So above average in terms of OPS plus and just great all-around power numbers. Uh, as I said, he had minimal playing time this year, but he was batting you know a measly 136 with a 63 OPS plus, so very below average on that Texas team who's got a pretty crowded infield this year, you know, with all their free agents and Ezekiel Duran um, coming up. Um, and also their outfield's looking great. You know, Cole Calhoun kind of slowed down recently. Uh, but, you know, you got Adolis Garcia as well. 
Um, in terms of the pieces that they got back, we got Steven Duggar. He hit 257 with a 767 OPS and a 106 OPS plus in 2021. So showing more promising numbers in the more recent past compared to Willie Calhoun. Um, Duggar dealt with injuries this year before coming over to the Texas Rangers. Um, I do not think Willie Calhoun has has appeared in San Francisco yet, um, but Steven Duggar has gotten some time with Texas. Um, I think Willie Calhoun is more of a you know a project that you have to wait on. Steven Duggar might get more playing time you know up front and this year. Uh, so we'll see. We'll wait and see how this trade really plays out going forward. And in emotional news, we got Freddie Freeman returning to Atlanta. Uh, he got an emotional, you know, standing ovation. He got to get his World Series ring. He got to touch the trophy, all that. Cried during the press conference. It was a real human moment, uh, you know, for Freddie Freeman. I mean, in my opinion, I believe he's one of the most human, uh, you know, outgoing, personality-driven baseball players, similar to Joey Votto, who we talked about. Uh, both just real hometown heroes, and it was it was good to see Freddie Freeman go back home, uh, make a you know great homecoming with the Dodgers. He went one for three in his first game with two walks, and he did score two runs. Um, and as we know, Freddie Freeman's got an illustrious history in Atlanta. Debuted in 2010, uh, was a five-time All-Star, 2020 NL MVP, five NL East titles, and a World Series champion. Of course, last year without Ronald Acuna, which is probably the most impressive feet of you know that playoff push um and then in the three game series against atlanta freeman went four for 12 with a double and one rbi um so you know like he is a great average hitter gets on base a lot and he's continuing to do that for the dodgers even against his old club and clayton kershaw did say that he hopes that the dodgers are not second fiddle to the braves and i believe you know these teams are in very different parts of uh freddie freeman's heart um, I don't really, you know, appreciate Glenn Kershaw really going there and, you know, kind of making it about this team or that team. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, both teams, as I said, are important to Freddie Freeman. You can't, I don't know how you can really compare the Dodgers. You know, his tenure there has only been 61 games compared to what he brought to Atlanta. But it was great seeing Freddie Freeman come home and, you know, you know have a pretty successful um, series and also, you know, get his ring, which is pretty cool. This isn't bad news in terms of the Yankees. We got the Astros throwing a combined no-hitter in part on Christian Rivera, who got the start. We got Hector Neris getting the hold and Ryan Presley, you know, finishing off the game with the save. Uh, It was the first no-hitter against the Yankees in 19 years. You know those teams can hit, uh, especially this year. We look great. Uh, Last year, not so much, but just a really consistent lineup, Uh, obviously winning that World Series in 2009, but it is the first no-hitter against the Yankees in 19 years. Christian Javier had career highs and strikeouts with 13 and pitches with 115. And as we know, we don't really see pitchers going that many pitches, that many innings. But it was really impressive to see. you got to keep them in um, for the amount of innings. I believe it was seven. So they, they didn't let him go the full nine, but seven is still – that's still a healthy outing. Uh, Hector Neris came in, he walked one, but he did get Joey Gallo to fly out, which is not much of a surprise, and he did get Aaron Judge to ground out into a double play, which is a bit of a surprise on his end. Presley earned his 15th save in 18 chances, and it was the third hitter no, the third no-hitter this year. There's a lot of no-hitters this year, not going to say anything about the balls, uh, but you know, watching a lot of baseball media, baseball YouTube, uh, 
it's not really as rare as we like it to be anymore. Uh, not really sure why. Maybe the baseballs, as I said. Uh, but it's still, you know, still an impressive feat against the Yankees, if anything, nonetheless. Next, we got Bryce Harper fracturing his thumb. He took a 97 mile per hour fastball from Blake, from Blake Snell off of his finger on Saturday. He will be out indefinitely. Um, and he actually said he wished it hit him in the face because he could have dealt with it easier, better if it hit him in the face. I mean, we did see that happen last year. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. On the Mets, Kevin Pillar, and he did get hit in the face, and I believe he was back within a week or so. Um, but still, I wouldn't want to get hit in the face. But the hand does hurt a bit. Uh, Mickey Moniak was recalled from AAA to play the outfield, even though you know Bryce Harper was in the DH spot. But maybe they'll move another outfielder, Castellanos, maybe to the DH spot and throw Mickey Moniak out there. Harper, you know, as we know, he was already limited with a shoulder injury. He was, you know, limited to that DH spot, as we said. Um, he was avoiding the Tommy John surgery by getting injections into his elbow, which I don't really know. I feel like you'd rather deal with that injury right away because he does have a humongous contract. Um, and their season their season is looking all right now, uh, but it was a bit lost. So, I mean, now he's out indefinitely. So I, re- I don't really, it doesn't really matter in terms of Tommy John, but he was hitting 318 with 21 doubles and a 985 OPS and a 175 OPS plus. You know, not really... Maybe up there in NL MVP. I don't think he was the favorite to win it this year, but it was impressive nonetheless. Having a great year in Philadelphia again, even if he was limited limited to that DH spot. Uh, the Phillies are thirty nine and thirty five, um, and one and a half games back from the third wild card spot. God bless the extended playoffs, um, but you know it's going to be tough for them without you know the reigning NL MVP, um, you know, and Bryce Harper. But we'll see what they have going, um, you know, without him. Next, we got the brawl between the Angels and the Mariners. Um, it was all over Instagram. I'm sure everyone's seen. Jesse Winker was hit by a pitch from Andrew Wance in the second inning. Uh, Wance also threw behind Julio Rodriguez's head. Uh, and they believe that this was in retaliation for Eric Swanson throwing at Trout's head in the last game. And Trout was very upset with what happened. Winker then yelled at the Angels bench. And, you know, the two sides charged each other. Benches and bullpen cleared. Punches were thrown. Uh, Anthony Rendon actually threw a punch in his cast, and I posted a meme about it because, I don't know, that's impressive. Um, and he's, like, trying to defend his pitcher, of course, but I feel like he should, you know, be laying low. Um, I feel like the, you know, the Angels should be more worried about the money that they're giving him, and he's missing his second straight, you know, full season with an injury. Um, so that was just, you know, a thought for Anthony Rendon and the Angels club, Winker, uh, then flipped off the crowd when he was going back to the you know the clubhouse, and he said he did regret doing this. Uh, Mariners man- manager Scott Service was ejected. Angels interim manager Phil Nevin was then ejected. Jesse Winker, Julio Rodriguez, and J.P. Crawford were ejected and did get subsequent fines, which we'll go over soon. Razio Iglesias then came back to throw sunflower seeds and gum on the field after being ejected. And I did think this was... Probably the funniest moment because they did like slow down the video and he was in super slow-mo of Razio Iglesias just absolutely hucking a uh, canister or whatever of uh, sunflower seeds um, and it got like a full breakdown. I just thought it was pretty interesting how they covered that. Um, but Winker got seven-game suspension. Rendon got a five-game suspension, although he is not healthy. He'll be serving it next year and he's not allowed on the bench for the next couple games. Um, J.P. Crawford got three games, I believe. Julio Rodriguez got two games and Phil Nevin got... 10 games 
suspension for his part in the uh, in the predicament. But next, we'll go to the College World Series. I haven't covered this much, but I felt like I should cover the winners. We got Ole Miss sweeping Oklahoma. It is their first title in school history, um, and they were, you know, on the like the bubble. We should say the last team in to make the tournament. They were the last at-large bid given for this year's tournament. Um, and in the eighth inning, it's similar to the Yankee uh, – or not the Yankee. I think it was the Mariners athletics game where the Mariners scored two runs on wild pitches in the eighth inning or ninth inning. Um, and this happened in this game. They did score two runs on wild pitches in the eighth inning. So you got to really feel for that pitcher for Oklahoma. Um, and I actually saw this, that the SEC has won eight of the last 13 College World Series, which is impressive in itself. Uh, the SEC has a lot of great baseball down there in Florida, Georgia, you know, all those southern states where it's summer, you know, year-round. Uh, Ole Miss overcame a 13-strikeout performance from Cade Horton, who was the Oklahoma pitcher. And as we saw, they did get a lot of their runs late in the game. Uh, it was pretty clutch. And it is the first sweep in the College World Series since 2017 when the University of Florida won. And on that team, we had Alex Fado, who is a Detroit Tigers pitcher, Jonathan India, uh, reigning NL Rookie of the Year, and Brady Singer, who's having a decent year as a pitcher in Kansas City. Uh, so that's just kind of the team you're comparing it to when you see a sweep in the College World Series. Also in terms of uh, Kansas City Royals, we got Carlos Santana being traded. He was traded to the Mariners that we mentioned before for Wyatt Mills and William Fleming, who are both right-handed pitchers. This also gave an opportunity for Vinny Pascantino to be called up from AAA. Um, and they also got Ronald Bolognos, who was designated for assignment. Santana signed a two-year deal for $17.5 million in 2021 to join the Kansas City Royals. But this year he hit 216 so far with a 690 OPS and a 98 OPS+. Plus. And had an even worse year last year, batting 215 with a 660 OPS and an 80 OPS plus. He was showing more promise this year in June, but they did decide to send him over after you know he didn't really live up to that hype of when he was an All Star in Cleveland in 2019, hitting 34 home runs. And Pascantino is an 11th round pick in 2019, and he is also the Royals' number three prospect. And before being called up this week, he was hitting 280 with a 948 OPS and a 144 OPS plus through 69 games, which he also marked 67 RBIs. So they're expecting a lot from him. And I saw he was actually the second first base prospect in their farm system, but they have been seeing a lot of good things from him. Um, so he will has been called up this week. And finally... In terms of our news, we got Tyler McGill being moved to the 60-day IL and the injuries to the Mets pitchers just never seem to end. He will be out until mid-August. He was on the 15-day IL on June 17th, but they did see you know more problems arise. So he will be on the 60-day IL going forward with a strained shoulder. He also missed four weeks earlier this year. Uh, the Mets did go on to claim Kramer Robertson off waivers, who is a utility infielder. He played two games with St. Louis earlier this year, and he also hit 313 games in Triple A Gwinnett. Uh, so, a pretty, pretty clutch cl uh, claim off of waivers that is Kramer Robertson. Uh, but they did, you know, obviously they made room with sending Tyler McGill to the 60 day IL, which is sad for the rotation, but they are looking pretty good as the Mets are, you know, top of the NL team. Uh, one of the World Series favorites. So, Next, we're going to go to our beats and our picks for this week. 
Our picks were 52 and 42. We did have three days under 500, which was getting me really antsy for going under 500 in total. Um, but we did have two double-digit win days this week, and we finished strong with a six and three performance yesterday on the you know the short nine-game ledger. And just some bad beats. We got Zach Greinke getting his first win, and Edward Oliveras hitting his first two home runs. I picked Oakland on Friday, not knowing how bad they were in June, because um, Zach Greinke entered the game 0 and four with a 5.05 ERA. Not the numbers we're used to seeing from Greinke, so I thought maybe the fall off did come. He was 0-3 in May with a 6-6-7 ERA, and he was without a win in 10 starts this year. But he did go on to throw six innings with three hits, four Ks, and one earned run, so a very solid outing. And we also had Edward Oliveras coming back after missing a month and a half. His first game back, he hit two home runs, and it was his first two home runs of the season. Uh, So just an outstanding performance from the Kansas City Royals that I did not see coming. Um, I didn't expect much from them or the uh, Oakland A's, but I expected much less from Zach Grinke and their offense. Uh, But they did prove me wrong. Uh, Next we have, you know, the Orioles-White Sox series. I picked Chicago White Sox for all four games. Baltimore ended up winning a three of four. Um, And that was Baltimore. That was a streak of four wins in a row that they had uh, going back to their last game in a series against the Nationals. It is their longest win streak of the year at four games. They outscored the White Sox 17-7 in those three-game series. They shut out the White Sox in game one. They were held to one run in game two. And Michael Kopech, who was a great pitcher for Chicago, did take an L in Game 3. And while the White Sox have been very disappointing, I believe that their pitching should have been superior. And, you know, the Orioles are, no offense, are not much of competition in some games. Not a great team. So I did, you know, go with the White Sox despite their, you know, disappointing start. Um, But I believe that's all we got for Bad Beats and all of our news. We'll be back with our Young Guns of the Week after this. So next we have our Young Guns of the Week, and we're going to start with Alejandro Kirk. I believe he was um, on of our one of our surprises of the week earlier this year, a couple weeks ago. Um, but now we're going to include him in Young Gun because he has been pretty consistent and no more of a surprise for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's 23 years old. He was 9 for 18 this week with three home runs, a double, and seven RBIs. He had three multi-hit games. The Blue Jays were 3-2 and two over that span this week. And his best game came on June 24th against the Brewers, where he went 4-for-4 four four with a home run and an RBI. He has been absolutely tearing it up for the Blue Jays in that DH spot and also getting some time at catcher with Gabriel Moreno being called up and Danny Jansen being on the IL, as we know. He is leading the Blue Jays in average on-base percentage, OPS, and OPS+. Plus. Um, so he doesn't have as many RBIs and home runs as Vlad Jr., but he is, you know, up there in all those hitting stats. So one of the best hitters on that team, arguably better than Vlad. Vlad has more at bats, you know, as I said, more home runs, RBIs, maybe more impact stats. Um, but nonetheless, Alejandro Kirk is really, really up there. He's really one of those guys in terms of hitting. As I said, he has locked in that DH spot and spent some time at catcher, and he is leading catchers in the MLB in OPS average and hits. 
Uh, so shout out to Alejandro Kirk for continuing to get it done, getting it done this week um, for the Toronto Blue Jays, who are making some noise in the AL East as of now, you know, battling it out with the Red Sox. Um, and for our next Young Gun of the Week, we got a pitcher. We got Christian Javier, who we talked about earlier in the show. Sad to say this, but I had to admit it. Christian Javier, of course, pitcher for the Houston Astros, 25 years old, was 1-0 this week with that combined no-hitter against the Yankees. He threw seven hitless with 13 Ks and only one walk. So one walk away from a perfect game. Um, and as I said, first no-hitter on the Yankees since 2003. Uh, you know, uh, the Yankee lineup, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stan, Anthony Rizzo. Don't need to really say more. If you can hold these guys to no-hits, it's pretty incredible, as we've seen in them not being no-hit in 19 years. His ERA dropped to a sub-3. His whip is now sitting at a solid 1.05. And his opponent average also dropped to below two. He is also the Astros' fourth pitcher. Um, and it's incredible because he's a fourth pitcher. Um, and Urquidy is not having a great year, but they're also missing Jay Godorizzi and Lance McCullers. So he's really filled in that fourth spot. Um, their whole rotation is disgusting. Every starter, all five, have at least five wins. And three of their starters have a sub-3 ERA this year. And he is on the last year of his contract with Houston, uh, so he could be earning an absolute bag. Uh, I don't know if Houston has the money to pay him that much, but he could be going elsewhere to earn that bag that I did mention. And just an incredible week for Christian Javier, as well as Alejandro Kirk. And next, we will get into our old heads of the week after this. Next, we are on to our old heads of the week. We are starting with a pitcher in this segment. We got Kyle Hendricks, who could have been a surprise of the week this week, uh, but we decided to put him in old head because we did have some other surprises this week. He is 32 years old, and he was 1-0 this week, beating St. Louis. He pitched 7.1 or 7 and a third innings, letting up 5 hits, 6 Ks, and 0 earned runs. He held Paul Goldschmidt. Probably the NL MVP, best hitter in the NL, one of the best hitters in the MLB this year, behind Aaron Judge, we'll say. And Nolan Arenado, he did hold both of those men to no hits. And there was no hitter on that St. Louis team who registered more than one hit that game. They spread out those five hits throughout their lineup. Uh, so, you know, not really bunching things together for St. Louis. He was 1-1 one one this month with a 4-1-5 ERA and a 1.2 whip. So not horrible numbers. Uh, definitely a step up from where he was, but this start this week really pushed those numbers to places that he wants to see them go. He has been pretty inconsistent, uh, but has had, has about you know one great start per month. He had a solid eight inning scoreless outing for San Diego uh, in May, and then he also had a seven inning scoreless outing against the Pirates in April. And as I said, he usually has about one great start per month. Um, you know, expecting more out of him, obviously, but this is his great start of the month if he does continue that trend. Um, his opponent bat and average dropped almost 10 points with this start, and his whip dropped under a 1.3, and his ERA is now sub-5. So this is why I said he might might have been a surprise this week, but we, we have more coming up. Um, but, you know, Kyle Hendricks is now 3-6 and six with a 4.90 ERA. So as I said, not where his numbers really want to be, 
but it is a great trend seeing a great start against a very, very good St. Louis team who has the NL MVP likely uh, player and Paul Goldschmidt on their team and a great strong lineup. It was a great, great game for Kyle Hendricks. And here we go back to our old head of the week. We got Freddie Freeman, who we did mention before. 32 years old, returned to Atlanta, got his ring, got his standing ovation, but he also did great work on the field, going 9 for 25 this week with two home runs, one double, and six RBIs. The Dodgers were 4-2 this week. They swept Cincinnati, and they won that Brave series. Freddie Freeman is on the top of the Dodgers hitting statistics in terms of batting average, OPS, uh, OPS plus and total bases. So just an on-base machine. It's for decent power as well with that OPS. And he's one of the best all-around players on their team along with uh, Trey Turner. Um, and he's just so much more valuable now because Mookie Betts is injured and is out. And it's just an incredible bat to have in your lineup. I'm sure every team would love a Freddie Freeman on their team. Um, and it was just a great, it was a great week for him off the week as well. Getting that ring, as I mentioned, so I felt they had to include Freddie Freeman just being an incredible player, an incredible person, an incredible teammate, an incredible person to the city of Los Angeles and as well in the city of Atlanta, bringing them that championship and making his return this week. Uh, so those are our two guys who we had for our old heads of this week. Uh, next, we're going to go to our surprises of the week. Um, and we got some two, two young guys who really exceeded expectations. Um, we'll, we'll be right back in a second. So next on to our surprises of the week, we're going to jump to the AL East uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays and their infielder slash corner infielder Isaac Paredes. He is 23 years old. He was 7 for 12 this week. I don't believe he is a full-time starter, but in the times that he is playing over there in Tampa Bay, he's been absolutely raking. He had two home runs, two doubles, and five RBIs in only three games this week, and he had two three-hit games. He is a Yankee killer. He hit three home runs in one game against the Bronx Bombers, which is very sad to see. He also went on to win Player of the Week in the, by the MLB and MLB.com, along with Freddie Freeman, who we have mentioned a ton this episode. Um, his average jumped from 255 or 2255 from all the way down at 209, and his OPS is at 612, which is not terrific. But it was at 523 from last week. Uh, is Tampa Bay's hottest hitter right now easily one of their hottest hitters and is their hottest hitter of the entire month and this week? And he's making that trade with Detroit uh, for Austin Meadows. Look pretty, not lopsided, but definitely in favor of the Tampa Bay Rays with the production that they are getting out of him after giving away Austin Meadows. And Austin Meadows is batting 250 with a 675 OPS, so maybe a little bit better power numbers. But Paredes is having, you know, a very, very important, very influential week, very influential month for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, showing great promise for that club. So I'm pretty sure they're happy to have him, um, and that makes him a, our first surprise of the week. And then our second surprise of the week, we got a young pitcher in Herman Marquez, 27 years old for the Colorado Rockies. He had one of the worst ERAs and one of the worst whips in the entire league going into this week with an ERA of 6.16 and a whip of 1.55. So pretty uh, pretty bad numbers over there. 
opponents were hitting almost 300 against him going into this week. So I picked against him. Um, he was going to be in the bad beats of this week, but I, I felt I wanted to put him in this section uh, just to highlight his performance mostly because I picked um, against the Rockies because he was pitching. Uh, but it was his best start of the season so far. Uh, he threw his first scoreless start. He went seven and two-thirds innings with three hits, two Ks, and zero earned runs. So not a lot of Ks, but also not a lot of hits and zero earned runs is very impressive for Ermon, especially seeing where he was coming from. Uh, as I said, it was his best start this season, and he held Luis Arias to zero hits, who's one of the hottest hitters, highest averages in the MLB as of now. Held Carlos Correa to one hit and four at-bats. Byron Buxton did not start, but he did pinch hit, and he did get him out in that one at-bat. And then Gary Sanchez also pinch hit, and he did get him out in that one at-bat. So just a pretty clutch, pretty pretty stellar performance for Herman Marquez, considering where he was before. Um, and that makes him our second surprise of the week. Uh, so congratulations to both of those guys being good surprises this week um, and outperforming maybe the... Uh, the potential that we did think that they had and just going going miles miles above of what people thought they would be doing this week in their performances. And next we'll go to our social media moments where we did get some more interaction with an MLB player um, and just some funny videos on Instagram that I might have talked about already, but we'll get to we'll get to them in more detail coming up. So for our social media moments of this week, we're going to begin with a DM that I did receive from a former MLB player, Kyle Farnsworth. Kyle Farnsworth posted a picture this week of him looking absolutely yoked. Uh, don't know if it's natural or if there was supplements involved, but he was looking like he was incredibly like because he was a pitcher, you know, tall, skinny guy. And now he looks like he could be two, 220, 230 pounds of pure muscle. Uh, so I made a meme about it. I compared him to Barry Bonds saying, like, I haven't seen a ball player this this ripped or this jacked at age 38 since Barry Bonds. Um, and he DM'd me back and he was laughing at my post. I thought he might have been mad because uh, may have incriminated him. Not incriminated, but may have, uh, you know, assumed he was on some uh, some steroids or some growth hormones or something to help him look like that. But he did think it was funny. Um so I was happy. I'm happy to always get that interaction with MLB players. It makes me feel really cool. Uh, makes me feel like there's a lot of people looking at my uh, my memes and my things. You know, really growing the the brand and the podcast. So I really appreciated Kyle Farnsworth. You know, giving me that reply. Um, another former MLB player in this social media moment segment. We got Pablo Sandoval absolutely trucking a catcher in the Mexican League. Pablo Sandoval plays for the Almecas de Tabasco. Um, and in that league, in the Mexican league, they do not have the Buster Posey rule, which of course is the rule that the, you know, the catcher cannot block the play unless they have the ball in their possession to minimize injuries, uh, specifically in the name of the rule, Buster Posey breaking his leg when he was blocking the plate. Uh, I think that was back in the two thousands. Um, but there is no such rule in the Mexican league. So it was tied in the seventh inning and there was a base hit to the outfield and Pablo Sandoval was coming around third hard. And he absolutely trucked catcher Hans Wilson. Um, I, th- I believe he was out because I think he hung on to the ball. Uh, but he did go over to the catcher and did, you know, like consult, not consult him, but like make sure he was okay. 
but it was incredible seeing Pablo Sandoval being the big guy that he is, just running so fast and you know laying the wood. It was it was. I always talk about Bigs too because that was a game I played when I was younger. It was similar to Bigs too, and you could run through the catcher in that little mini game. Um, and it was it was pretty electric. Uh, but I hope you know Hans Wilson's okay. I believe he's okay, and Pablo Sandoval seems to be fine. But it was just a pretty funny moment, you know, pretty interesting moment over there in the Mexican League because it's such different rules. And then we talked about this a bit. We talked about Rezo Iglesias throwing the seeds on the field after getting ejected. So he got ejected and threw this whole big, it was like a whole big basket of seeds and gum, I believe, on the field. Um, and the camera was right there because it was right in front of the dugout. So a camera captured it all. And then they ran it back in slow motion. And it was... First of all, it was like a shot put shot. It was an incredible, it was like Olympic level shot put of a whole canister of sunflower seeds and it was in slow motion so you got to see the whole thing go and then everyone's reaction. Jesse Winker tried to get back out of the dugout because he was mad that he threw seeds on the field or whatnot. Um, And just, you know, as a moment in MLB history, the fight was bad. A lot of suspensions, not what you really want to see from, you know, the MLB players, professional athletes. Uh, but the moment of him throwing the seeds, I did find pretty funny because he was throwing seeds, he was throwing gum, um, and it looked something like something out of like a little league movie, like a, maybe like a kicking and screaming type movie. If you've ever seen that movie, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting the way he absolutely shot put the the seeds onto the field. Um, but I think that's all we got for our social media moments. And we're going to be back with the prospects of the week. Onto our prospects of this week. I'm sure everyone has heard of it. Not much of a... He is a prospect because he was called up. Um, but we have Mark Appel. He made his debut at age 30. A pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. He was the first overall pick in 2013. Um, and he was able to be called up with Connor Brogdon being moved to the COVID IL. He spent the last two years in the minor leagues for the Phillies. Uh, this year, he was 5-0 and with a 1-6-1 ERA, which is absolutely incredible. Um, so I have to give him credit on that. But he is 30, so he's probably way more matured uh, than a lot of other players. But still, not as athletic. Uh, there's give and takes with being 30 years old in the minor leagues, but those numbers are pretty incredible. He did step away from baseball in 2018, uh, dealing with some injuries that he didn't know if he could come back from. But he did come back strong, and he did make his debut. Um, or did get called up for the first time at age 30, excuse me. Um, and he was 26 and 13 with a 2.57 ERA back in his college days, way back when in 2012 ish. Um, he has yet to appear for the Phillies, yet to make that debut for them, but he did get called up and make his, you know, get his first call up at the age 30. Uh, reminds me of um, a pitcher from the Orioles last year, Mickey Janice. Was pretty old. I think he was older than that. Uh, but Knuckleballer made his debut, his first appearance, first call-up in the MLB at such a, you know, an age over 30, which is pretty incredible. It shows great dedication, great persistence. So I just wanted to shout out Mark Appel for, you know, really sticking in there, dealing with those injuries in 2018, but deciding to come back stronger and seeing it really pay off for him was just incredible. A real, real moment for maybe younger athletes who don't, who might be slumping, blah blah blah, might be dealing with injuries. Really coming back strong and just doing things the best he can and making, you know, 
the best case for himself to be where he should be in the MLB. And then our final, our second uh, prospect of the week, we got Jordan Lawler, 19-year-old. So the opposite side of the spectrum, younger than me and probably younger than most people watching the show or, you know, most people in general. Uh, 19 years old, 18th overall prospect, Diamondbacks number one prospect playing with the single A affiliate of the Diamondbacks. He was 7-4-13 this week with three doubles, one triple, and five RBIs. He's hitting 369 this year with a 1089 OPS, uh, 26 RBIs and 19 stolen bases in 36 games. So it seems that he's got everything going for him, power, you know, hitting the gaps, speed with the triples, batting for um, average, you know, driving in runs, being clutch, stealing bases, as we said, which relates back to the speed aspect that we that what I mentioned before. He offered to he was offered to play at Vanderbilt coming out of high school, but he chose to go straight to the MLB after attending a prep school um, after high school. And it is looking like the right choice for Jordan Lawler because he's putting on an absolute clinic in single A for the Diamondbacks. Has a bit of time for it before he can, you know, make his debut with the actual club. But from where he is right now, at just 19 years old, putting up it's putting up stellar numbers. Uh, I really believe that, you know, he will be an impact player for that Diamondbacks team, who is, I would consider, in a bit of a rebuild. But as I said, he does have a few more years, maybe some time before he gets called up. But I just wanted to shout him out for the incredible play that he has been, you know, showing in single A this year. Um, That's it for our prospects of this week. But next we are going to go to our history segment, my favorite segment. We'll talk about Pete Rose, talk about some records, um, some incredible, you know, displays of baseball um you know the expansions in baseball and we got some birthdays for some young guys in the MLB right now who are actually teammates uh but we'll be right back with that after this so on to our we got our history section, of course, my favorite part, as I always say. We got some decent, decent MLB moments uh, for today in MLB history. First, we got 1984. We go into Pete Rose playing in his 3,309th game. He surpassed Carl Yastrzemski for most games played in MLB career. He did go 0-5 in that game, and the Expos did lose 7-3 to his team, the Reds, but he was on the Expos at this point in his career. And he did go on to finish his career with 3,562 games played. So did have about 200 more games under his belt before he did retire from this moment in 1984. And in 2005, we go to Craig Biggio, also breaking a record of his own for most times being hit by a pitch. He broke Don Baylor's record by being hit 268 times, and he was hit by Byung Hyun Kim. Uh, and he finished his career with 285 hit by pitches. So what is that about? 17 more hit by pitches, which is an incredible amount because even one of those hurts a ton. And he got hit 285 times. Then we go to 2012, where we got Aaron Hill hitting two cycles within two weeks. He hit two cycles within 11 days. The first one coming on June 18th and the second one coming on June 29th. And he was the first person to hit for two cycles just in one year 
since 1931, which was Babe Herman, not even counting just within two weeks, just within one year, the last time it was done was 1931, which is a vastly different game of baseball compared to the one we are seeing today and in 2012. And another interesting milestone for Aaron Hill was his 1,000th career hit did come as the first hit in his second cycle. Uh, so he started the day on a historic note and finished the day on an even more historic note, finishing those two cycles within two weeks. Next, we go to 2019 for the first major league game played in Europe. We have the Yankees playing the Red Sox at the London Olympic Stadium. The game was a 17-13 game in front of 60,000 fans, so I'm sure those 60,000 fans really did feel they got their money's worth because uh, 2019 was the uh, you know the year of the juiced balls, per se. Um, so really probably trying to get those new fans by showing them as many home runs and as many runs as possible. Neither pitcher for the Yankees or the Red Sox made it out of the first inning, and that is the first time that has happened since 1989, because I, b- I believe both of them let up six runs in the first inning. Uh, one pitcher went, I think, one out, and Tanaka was the pitcher for the Yankees that I remember went two outs in the first inning. There was 37 hits and six home runs in that one game, and the game went on for four hours and 42 minutes, and while it was long, which is something the MLB doesn't like, the game was a bit juiced, and they did score, what, 30 runs on 37 hits, Uh, so the fans, as I said, did get money's worth, and I bet they had a lot of fun with their first game in Europe. The MLB probably really wanted to show out uh, in terms of, you know, making the game exciting. And finally, we go to two team, two teammates who share a birthday. We got Bobby Dahlbeck, who turns 27, who's a Red Sox infielder, debuted in 2020. He went to the University of Arizona, where he hit 282 with an 843 OPS over three seasons there. He was then drafted in the fourth round by the Boston Red Sox in 2016. And in about two and a half seasons in Boston, he is hitting 232 with a 763 OPS. So not great average numbers, but decent power numbers in terms of OPS. And right now, he is playing the backup or reserve uh, first baseman spot and DH spot and third base spot. So, you know, versatile corner infielder hitter uh, for the Boston Red Sox. And one year younger, we got his teammate Tanner Hawk, who is turning 26 years old. Another Red Sox. He is a Red Sox pitcher, debuted in 2020 as well. Went to the University of Missouri, where he went finished with a record of 17 and 18 with a 3.26 ERA and a 1.038 WHIP. So not a great record. Maybe this team wasn't too good, but his numbers, ERA, and WHIP are looking pretty pretty stellar. When he was in college, he was drafted by the Red Sox in the first round of the amateur draft in 2017. Uh, two and a half, three years into his career in Boston, he is eight and eight with a 3.11 ERA. So once again. An okay record, but a 3-1-1 ERA in Major League Baseball is nothing to laugh at. It's a very good ERA. And right now he is waiting on the injured list. Uh, but before he did go in the IL this year, he was 4-3 with a 3-4-2 ERA. So very, very impressive numbers from a young up-and-coming pitcher. Um, and a young up-and-coming corner infielder in Bobby Dahlbeck as well. And finally... We are going to go to a very exciting and a very historical player that I wasn't very sure about. I mean, none of the players I'm not very sure about, but my dad had a field day. We got Manny Sanguian, nicknamed Sangi from Panama, was a three-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ with the Pittsburgh Pirates, four-time MVP vote-getter, a career 296 hitter, 
with a 724 OPS and a 102 OPS plus. Um, you might be wondering why the OPS and OPS plus numbers are a bit lower, but we'll get to that in a second. He played from 1967 to 1980, and he is what is known as a bad ball hitter, um, hitting bad pitches, hitting you know throwaway pitches that pitchers are throwing, trying to get people to chase, uh, hitting those for base hits, similar to Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, senior who actually hit that there's a famous video of him hitting a double or it might have been a single in uh, hitting a gapper into the outfield off a ball that bounced so similar similar you know plate uh, discipline as Vladimir Guerrero he rarely walked and he had 223 walks and 5383 plate appearances for a 4.14 base on balls percentage uh, his OBP was low, as I said, in terms of that OPS. Um, this was, He was also teammates with Roberto Clemente, very close friends with Roberto Clemente. Um, was on the team when he passed away. He was uh, was a catcher, but was they tried to move him into right field when Roberto Clemente did pass away, but it eventually did not work. He was traded to the A's for one year, but then traded back to Pittsburgh uh, when he was older and not not really as, as productive, but they did mean a lot to you know that Pittsburgh... Um, organization he was close friends with Roberto Clemente and the most interesting part of my research for Mr. Sanguian was that he was supposed to be on the plane with Roberto Clemente on a trip to Nicaragua um, that did end up you know taking Roberto Clemente's life but Sanguian lost his car keys and missed the plane so he was not able to get on the plane but he did hear of you know what had happened in the crash um, and he insisted on going to the, you know, the the scene of where the crime, not the crime, the scene of the accident, and looking for bodies in the crash. Uh, so that's just something incredibly interesting that I found. It's one of those stories where like should have been on the plane, should have been in the car, but overslept, missed his flight, whatever, and you know ended up saving his life. And the quotes that my dad had was played with and one of Roberto Clemente's best friends. Never saw a pitch he couldn't hit. Never saw a pitch he did not like. Um, and he would swing at everything, but not just swing at everything. He would hit everything too, as we saw with those bad ball pitchers. Um, and just an incredibly like historic player uh, that you never would really know unless you watched it. Never really, because everyone knows Roberto Clemente, but he was also tied in. Manny Sanguin was tied in uh, to his incredible story and you know like the tragic loss of life. But nonetheless, a great baseball player in his uh, own right, you know, World Series champ, MVP, vote getter, and all time or an all star. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all we got for our history section and all we got for our show today. Um, as I said, it's a ton of fun doing these shows. You know, keeping up on Instagram with the memes at bitd podcast, bringing you the show uh, from Mawa, New Jersey, in the basement. Uh, probably going to get a new camera going forward, so it might look a little bit different. I know I've said I was going to get a new table for a long time now, but I might do some furniture shopping. Um, but anyway, thank you everyone for watching the show and keeping up on Instagram and, uh, you know, and Tunnel Vision Sports. Thank you for letting me put this show on, of course. Thank you, Stephen Hayes. Uh, thank you to the entire editing team over there for putting this show together um, and helping me bring this incredible baseball content to you. Um, we're all, I think we're almost halfway through the MLB season, so we got some more to go, more picks to go, um, and I can't wait for the second half. The All-Star break as well, can't wait for the second half too, and the playoffs. Um, so thank you everyone for watching, and we'll be back next week. 